Space Glider, Marionette, Acroyeur, Bug, Microtron, Biotron. They came from inner space. Six champions sworn to free their beloved microverse from the tyrannical rule of the evil Baron Karza. Stanley presents the Micronauts. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 117, The Micronauts, Issue 2, Earth, covered at February 1979. Hello there, time travelers. It's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and I am back with another episode of The Comic Book Time Machine Presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics. This time we're talking about The Micronauts, issue number two. And I, as I have said before, uh, am excited about this, and uh, and I'm excited to get back into it, I should say, Um because, you know, yeah, we've had a little bit of time off. If you're just listening to the Micronauts stuff and you just found this through some sort of Google search recently, you don't know that I've actually spent some time off. But I have spent some time off from doing this uh, to the point where some have called it a pod fade. I say don't call it a pod fade, but also don't call it a comeback. So here we are in our time machine going back in time to November 7th, 1978, because this comic book is one of those books that came out right after Star Wars. And as I've uh, explored before, this did not happen because of Star Wars. This toy line happened uh, to come out before Star Wars and actually was able to capitalize on the Star Wars popularity because of the size of the action figures that came with this toy line when it was brought over from Japan to the United States. Now, this comic book then... Uh, was able to absolutely capitalize on this. However, if you look at the cover of this issue, issue number two, you'll see that they've kind of stepped away from the Star Wars-y aspect of things to kind of get into the other real big high concept. There's, There's two high concepts going on here. One is this war going on in inner space. And two is the characters coming to the real world, coming to the human world, the Marvel 616 universe. So uh, this episode or this issue, I keep saying that and maybe I shouldn't correct myself uh, and just and just go with it. But this particular comic book issue (laughs) is cover dated, uh, like I said, February 1979 cover price still only 35 cents. The title Earth. And if that doesn't tell you that we're moving away from inner space, I don't know what will. Uh, well, the cover will, definitely, but we'll get to that. The writer is Bill Mantlow, and the penciler is Michael Golden, but they are credited in this issue. Uh, it says Bill Mantlow, and then next to Bill Mantlow's name is Michael Golden. Underneath that, you have writer, storytellers, and penciler. So writer goes under my, uh, Bill Mantlow, penciler goes under uh, Michael Golden, but in between, Storytellers is right there in between showing that they share uh, the credit as far as where the story is going and how it's working. And that's kind of a cool uh, a cool way to do it. 
The inker is Joseph Rubenstein, and the letter is John Costanza. Can't stand ya. Uh, yeah, anyway, little inside joke. If you like Seinfeld, then you got the inside joke. The colorist is Francois Mouly. Francis Mouly? I'm not exactly sure. Whoever it is, they aren't even credited. They're just credited as F. Mouly as the colorist. This issue is, uh, you can if you're looking to track these down, you can find this story in two different places. One is in Micronauts, issue number two, but you can also find it in the Micronauts Special Edition number one, which reprints a couple different issues, and that is from 1983. So let's get into the cover. The cover, we are definitely moving from inner space Star Wars kind of thing to Earth. It's a very different feel. This cover is not screaming at you, hey, do you like Star Wars? Because if you like Star Wars, you'll like this. Instead, we are getting into that high concept of tiny heroes on Earth. Action figure-sized things in the, the real world. And so you have our main characters. You have Commander Ran, you have Marionette, you have Acreir, you have Bug, you have Biotron and Microtron. And they are all running through some grass, very tall grass, uh, at least for them. And they are being chased by a really menacing uh, lawnmower. And, and the, the type of lawnmower is that rotary type. I'm not even sure what you call it. It's one that I really wanted to get when we first bought our house, and we ended up getting a gas-powered lawnmower that has the spinning blade. This is the kind, like you would see Leave it to Beaver use, uh, where you know the wheels turn, and they turn gears, and those turn blades, and the blades are on a cylinder and moving around in a cylinder. As you push that cylinder forward, the blades pass each other and cut the grass. And if you want a menacing lawnmower man type of thing um, where it's actually scary and not, you know, the lawnmower man movie, you've, this, is, this is it. Behind this lawnmower is in silhouette a normal sized person, but he towers over them. Now, honestly, he could tower over them more. The least menacing thing is the silhouette of the person. This is, we are meant to be looking at the blades of this lawnmower, and it's just coming at you on the page, coming toward you from the page. And then it says, from a war-torn microverse, they fled to Earth. And this entire story, except for one, well, two parts, take place on Earth. Uh, the story does start in the microverse, uh, in the splash page. The cast are on either side of the page, just so you can kind of remember who is in the story, but we get to look at their ship, their spaceship. And I've always liked the Micronauts spaceship because it doesn't look like it's copying anything from the real world. It doesn't look like it's copying anything from Star Wars or anything from Star Trek. Uh, it, it definitely has its own style. In fact, if I was going to compare it to anything, it would be kind of what my memory is of the spaceship in Space Family Robinson, the comic book, not the Lost in Space Family Robinson that you got on the TV show, but the comic book had a unique looking spaceship as well. It doesn't look exactly like this, but this has this kind of a cone with a control room sticking off of the front of the cone. The cone is upright with the point of the cone down at the bottom. Uh, and at the top is round, and then you have this, uh, like I said, control room that's sticking off of the top of the front of this cone. And then you have these two arms reaching out from either side of it. They aren't really arms. They don't have hands. They are, but they, that's the best way to describe it for me. And it's just a really cool thing. It is not 
as far as I know, and maybe I should put a little extra research into this to find out, I don't think there's ever a toy of this, though. In fact, on the splash page, there are only toys of Biotron, Microtron, Acrier, and Commander Ran, the space glider. Marionette and Bug are both two original characters that were created for this series for some extra, I guess, some extra humanoid protagonists. They are in the microverse. There are atoms uh, all around them, and they are breaching the molecular fabric space wall because they are running from the bad guys, and they have to get away, and this was the way they were going to get away. And if you remember in the last issue, the bad guy's ships hit the space wall and got destroyed, but their ship was able to go through. And so they're very concerned about this, obviously. The time traveler makes an appearance, just a quick one, just to re- almost as if to say, hey, remember... The time traveler action figure is also in this. The time traveler explains them a little bit about why they are the ones who are made it through and the others didn't. It's because uh, the molecular fabric of the space wall was disrupted by them. Uh, and he said, that I, I returned to tell you that a galactic cruiser has been dispatched after you and that the space wall will not stop this one because the space wall has been breached. Once breached, it cannot be repaired. And then he tells them, farewell, Voyagers, you have been warned, and then he disappears. And so, I don't know, the space, uh, the time traveler so far seems to be just this kind of intergalactic or interdimensional prophet who pops in long enough to give you a little bit of information, but not everything, you know, as interdimensional prophets do. So they crash, and they crash land on a planet. And actually, this is one of the tropes of sci-fi that I really enjoy. I enjoy the episodes where they crash land on a planet, like the Galileo 7, or the episode of Battlestar Galactica where Starbuck has to make a life for himself on on the, the desert planet. Actually, that's Galactica 1980. Uh, there was an episode of Buck Rogers that I really like to re- re-watch again because I remember seeing that on TV. It was maybe a special two-parter that was done as a special two-hour episode when I watched it on TV as a kid. And it's just the the trope of the spaceship crash landing. Luke and the Empire Strikes Back crash landing on Dagobah. I used to play this all the time with my action figures is I would have them crash land on a planet and then, you know, it'd be my bedroom and then there'd be mountains, which would be my bed. You know, everyone did this with the, the your room or your living room becomes the environment that they're in. But for me, it was a planet that people were crash landing on and it might be a, a water planet where the spaceship became their boat and they had to stay alive or something like that or a swamp planet. Uh, because, you know, I wasn't super original when I was a kid because I was a kid and I was, you know, making up things based also on things that I'd seen on TV. And so this trope of the the crash landing spaceship is something that's kind of stuck with me as something that I just have an affinity for and like. So here you have them crash. Their spaceship is on its side and <laughs> they're dealing with that as uh, but they're not dealing with that in dialogue. That's just something that you kind of see in just the way that they're drawn as they're talking and, and doing their exposition with their dialogue. But. On the screen, they see leaves and branches, and Commander Ran tells Biotron to turn off magnification. But the magnification isn't on. It's normal viewing. What they're looking at outside is just big. It's just big. And so this brings us to page six, where we get a whole lot of exposition, all the exposition we need to understand what is going on. And I'm going to go ahead and read, actually, some of this exposition here just so that uh, you can get a feel for the, the way it does this. There is a lot of words on this page, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels. 
Uh, Commander Rand says, you'll pardon me if I don't catch on immediately, won't you? I mean, I've only been suspended in animation for the last 1,000 years. And then now Marionette says, uh, the homeworld you left died ages ago, Commander, which these are all things he already knows that he was already told, but they're just reminding him, you know. Uh, they were enslaved by Karza's science. The royal family fought back, but Karza offered the people immortality, constant renewal in his infamous body banks. Those who defied him served as organ donors to extend the lives of those who submitted. So there's part of what's going on back home. Then Bug says, other worlds were colonized or raised or their peoples were enslaved. And actually, that was Acrier who says that. And then he says, the Acriers fought, but we were betrayed. And then Marionette says, once once Karza consolidates his rule, freedom will vanish from the microverse. But Karza is afraid, Commander, of the unknown, of what you might have discovered during your millennium in space. And then, again, they're <laughs> just telling the whole story from issue one. That must be why he tried to have me killed when I returned, so the telepathic data locked in my brain would die with me. I wonder what I know that scares Karza. And then Biotron says, we can run a retrieval program, sir, but it will take time. Microtron says, which we don't have with a cruiser on our tails because the time traveler told them that. And so now they're going to look for a place to hide their ship while they figure out a plan. And so they get out of the ship because they can't do anything on the ship right now. They just have to recharge the ship's uh, solar reserves. And so while the ship powers up, they are going to go and have a look around this strange alien world with such big trees and plant life and enormous man-made structures. They see this giant pole that's jutting out of the ground and it goes up into a, a triangular point with another pole. And then there's chains hanging from a cross pole that goes across and they figure this, this must be man-made, but why, why would they build something so big? Is it for religious purposes? Is it, uh, it's not to live in. And then the panel after the page turn shows that they're looking at a swing set, just a, a typical cheap, small swing set like you might have had if you were a kid in, in the 70s. And they are just looking at everything with great wonder until they get attacked by a monstrous beast with giant floppy ears and a tag that says muffin. It's it's a puppy. Uh, so that is act one. <laughs> And uh, it's nice. You know, we get the setup and we we get the setup not just for what brings them there, but the setup for them having to deal with what's going on there. There's a lot of telling, but there's also a lot of showing going on at the same time. So you get that, you know, the, the axiom that says uh, show, don't tell. Well, here you have show and tell at the same time. Kill two birds, one stone, and bring in a giant puppy while you're at it to add some humor and menace. So Act 1, I, I, I kind of like. I kind of like. Uh, we have an interlude after Act 1. The interlude is to make sure that we don't forget that there's a bad guy in this story, a, a really bad bad guy. And we get a page of exposition, uh, this time not in dialogue, but actually just uh, narration captions. And this page of exposition tells us about the sci-sci stuff that's going on on Homeworld. And it's describing the, you know, the, the grim edifice like a scar slashed into the ochre sky of Homeworld uh, as it describes the building that Baron Karza is in. And uh, we then see Baron Karza. And so he gets one page in this comic. He gets one page with Marionette's brother, who is a prince, part of the royal family. And this is where Baron Karza, he becomes an interesting villain here. Um 
Argon, Argon says, uh, my sister, Karza, what have you done with my sister? And Karza says, I could torment you with mistruths, Argon, by telling you that the Princess Mary is also a prisoner within this tower, but I prefer not to disguise my failures. She escaped me, Argon, when forces still loyal to the royal family raided the Great Games, which happened in issue number one, more dialogue <laughs> exposition, I guess. Uh, and then he says, it's a temporary state of affairs, I assure you now. Even now, my acquire allies race in pursuit of your sovereign sister. And so even as he's monologuing, he's, he's also a poet at heart as he uses alliteration and all these things. But then uh, he says something a little bit odd. <laughs> this is a kid's book. But um, we got to show that Karza is evil. And he says, she will be caught, but you should not. that should not concern you. The royal family has ever defied me, clung idealistically to mortality. Killing you would be a waste. I intend to experiment with you, Argon, for breeding purposes. Why, when I'm done, you won't even know yourself. And Karza laughs. I... <laughs> I don't know what he means by this. When I'm done, you won't even know yourself. I'm going to experiment on you for breeding purposes. This sounds awful. Uh, the panel above this, so the the top panel of this page, half of the page, has Karza looking at Argon. And there's a bunch of robed men, monk-like men, uh, who are standing around. Uh, actually, kind of kind of reminds me of the, the black hole, but. Argon is drawn so you see him in silhouette, but there is this really interesting uh, light is coming up from behind him on the thing that he's been tied down on with his legs spread and his arms spread. And so light is shining up from behind him, and that puts the front of his body in silhouette. But the highlights and, and the outline of his muscles and his body are lit. Uh, they're they are yellow, the same exact yellow as the light of the bed that he is on. And I say the bed, it's not an actual bed. It's a bed of light that he's on. The guy's obviously naked. I mean, he he's stripped down. You see the muscles of his legs. You see the muscles of his, his side. You see the muscles of his arms. And for a children's comic that is about a children's toy, uh, this is really menacing. But it's the kind of menace that I don't think children would quite get. And I, as an adult, am not quite sure exactly what Karzan is getting at. But that is the interlude. And, uh, man. But enough. Let's stop thinking and talking about horrible fates. I'm sure we will come back to them in issue number two. For now, in Act 2 of this comic, or at least where I am calling it Act 2 of this comic, we're in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Land. Uh, The puppy is chasing after some of the Micronauts, and a lawnmower is bearing down on some of the Micronauts. The biggest difference between this and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is that Ran can fly with his glider pack, so he takes off and takes Mary to safety with him, even though she didn't ask. Uh, They also have robots, which help fight the puppy, although it's open to interpretation on this page whether or not they are hitting it or tripping it or flipping it or what they're doing with it, but they're doing something with it to help Uh, Ran and Marionette not get caught by the puppy. Another big difference is that they have super strength. And so um, on the next page, here on this page is where they're kind of running and regrouping. On the next page is when they flip the script and they attack. And Biotron actually punches the dog in the face twice. And, And then Ran fires at the dog with his blaster, which doesn't 
doesn't kill the thing, but it does uh, startle it. At least I don't think it kills it. I'm trying to remember if I remember if I if I saw the dog alive after this. I don't. I'm peeking ahead in the comic, and I maybe they did kill it. I don't think so, but I do not see that dog again after he shoots it. Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, along with that, as Rand does this, uh, Marionette and, and Rand have a little back and forth about how he, I was flying you to safety, and she says, who asked you? And that's kind of a recurring theme here is that Marionette is capable of taking care of herself and is written so that she is capable of taking care of herself. She is definitely that in the, the Ripley or the Princess Leia mold. However... <laughs> the guys of the team don't let her and ran especially is is just he's a thousand years outdated uh anyway acrier and bug are taking care of the lawnmower and acrier actually grabs the blade of the lawnmower stops the blade of the lawnmower i mean we're talking about super strength here he catches the spinning lawnmower blade and then he flips the lawnmower up only about maybe two feet up into the air but you have to remember this guy is six inches tall and he is flipping up this uh, lawnmower into the air. It knocks down the human who is pushing the thing. And so then you have the human who's this kid who's only wearing shorts and tennis shoes. And he is just a scrawny kid, but he, he was a menace to them because of his size and his lawnmower and his dog, which might be dead, man. That's really, you're discovering it with me, ladies and gentlemen, who are listening right now. But anyway, the guy is confused as he sees who is doing this, but things are about to get more confusing because Acrier's brother brings a Micronauts toy line ship through the breach. And his brother has a blood feud with him. So he was more than happy to take this mission to bring Acrier back for Baron Karza. And then a battle begins in this kid's backyard with the micronauts fighting against the ship that splits itself into multiple tiny ships and so you have multiple tiny ships versus multiple tiny people they hold their own uh, they're able to run away and get to their own ship their regular ship and as they do that again ran picks up marionette flies away with her to go to the ship and he says oh steve that's the kid brought bought us uh, precious seconds let's use them to reach the endeavor and mary says i'm not helpless you know and then uh then bug says then you take carry me uh anyway they get to their ship and they're able to teleport away just in time before the uh, before Acrier's brother is able to fire and destroy them, they they uh, they have photon torpedoes. They also have photon flares on their ship. But anyway, they're able to teleport away just in time uh, and not get destroyed by his brother. And so the battle ends there, as far as our micronauts are concerned. But the poor kid is still there in the yard and that spaceship is there and they've been shooting all around him and he's been panicking. So he picks up a rake and he strikes the bad guy's ship, which has been reassembled into that single, uh, single ship. And he strikes it with the rake and it, as it tumbles through the air, it too disappears. And the boy is left behind with the money shot that makes all of this honey. I shrunk the kids shenanigans worthwhile. Um, <laughs> there's, 
flames uh, as trees are burning all around him. The swing set is destroyed. The dog, Muffin, I don't know where he is, but he is not in this final panel. And suddenly this becomes even more uh, morbid. The lawnmower is there on its side, and he's just standing there. He says, they, they're they all gone. Gee, what am I going to tell Dad? And I actually have to say, I love this as the punchline to this issue. It just, it was fun and funny. And the whole Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thing, I mean, that shtick was old when this comic came out. It was old when Honey, I Shrunk the Kids did it. It's just the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was able to do it in a very technologically cool way. But anyway, don't get me wrong. It's a good, it's a good movie. I like the movie. We just watched it. And maybe that's why it's fresh in my mind for this. But I've also read a couple different comic books about people getting shrunk down to six-inch size and having to deal with a cat, you know. And and there's also uh, Land of the Giants, you know, the TV show. Uh, and and you know, so there's there's plenty of things that have happened. So the question is: Is Micronauts going to be able to keep this up and still be interesting? And the answer is. Sort of, as far as I remember. <laughs> remember, as I'm doing this, uh, Micronauts and ROM, and those are the two that I had read ahead of time the entire series. And there might be some miniseries coming up that I've read uh, the entire thing from this uh, Marvel Cosmic Comics run that I'm doing. But Micronauts and ROM are the two that I remember reading the entire the entire run. And uh, I do remember the some of the were tiny people in a big world wasn't the most wasn't the the best however this issue i mean the, the good stuff outweighs that what i'm talking about because in the middle of all of this this is a pretty good issue we you, there's a lot of stuff this this comic book has to do and so while it feels like it's kind of buying into this kind of cliche gimmick uh, and this is the first issue that introduces that part of the gimmick of Micronauts, that they are just six-inch people in a real big size world. But there's so much packed into this comic. And this comic, you know, so the first issue was introducing all of the characters and introducing the sci-fi elements of the rebellion and the war that's going on in inner space that causes them to run away. This one is what sets up the kind of the storytelling engine of them being these small people on a tiny spaceship in this giant world called earth. And we get background too. And some of it's really good background. That's just kind of dropped and, and the exposition is dropped, but it's not dropped in a heavy handed way where they're just saying, as you remember, which happens obviously in this, but then you get bug looking at the flora of our world and looking at the, you know, the trees and stuff. And he says, I'd say we were on my world, except there were there, the trees are red and not so big. And you have little tidbits about Acryer's world, about how they fought against Karza but were betrayed. And then these hints at uh, this blood feud between him and his brother that can only end in death. And so this issue, it definitely feels like it could be the beginning of a very kidified uh, toy line comic, but it also feels like it could be the beginning of an intricate and potentially sophisticated pulp sci-fi epic that is going to span 83 issues and three different series. So there's Micronauts, and then there's the second volume of Micronauts, and there's also a four-issue Micronauts versus X-Men that's coming up. Uh, now, that's way that's, – that's, we're a ways away from that. But, you know, this, this, is, this is the beginning of something good and something special. 
Now, also in this issue, we have a mighty Marvel bonus poster. And that is because there were no letters for a letters page from issue number one. And so instead, we get this mighty Marvel bonus poster of Time Traveler. And it says, he is said to appear in times of gathering darkness when fear has overswept the microverse and the souls of men. He has had many names, Time Traveler, the Enigma Force. It is said he is all things to all men, yet he is truly known only to himself, a dweller in dreams who has chosen to answer a royal summons during this time of Homeworld's nightmare. And at the very bottom it says, address your comments to Micromails, care of Marvel Comics. Now, I think it's really interesting that the Time Traveler toy gets this weird one mysterious thing that exists out there as the Enigma Force and the Time Traveler. When, as far as I knew from the toys, even as a kid, it seemed like the Time Traveler was just your army building thing. It was, it was just the, the uh, most mundane of all the characters. He came in a couple different colors. And he came on a, a, a card with a, a, a bubble. Uh, he did not come with any special uh, accessories or features or anything like that. He just seemed to me to be the most, most mundane and boring of all the Micronaut stuff that there were. And, and yet here he is as the, the time traveler. I mean, he's, he's basically a personification of the Force, um, or something like that, and you know, or or a cosmic silver surfer prophet type of thing. I don't know exactly what he is. I don't remember. I, I should say exactly what he is, but he's pretty important to this. So, uh, and I guess it makes sense. You have to include as many toys as you can, right? Speaking of toys, there's something else in this issue that I would normally save this for Ben's bullpen, Ben's bullpen bulletin, which is when I talk about the ads and other uh, just different things that happened in this month. And so, you know, the upcoming Ben's bullpen, bullpen bulletin for cover date February uh, is, is going to include some extra Star Wars stuff that is not from the Marvel comic that was monthly released here in the States, but some other stuff that um, we're going to talk about. But there is a, a page here that says, and now, because we're foolish and big-hearted, the niftiest, cuddliest offer this side of an invite to Dr. Doom's surprise birthday party, Shogun Warriors and the Micronauts. Subscribe to our two latest and greatest triumphs for only $9, 12 issues each, and get a free our special edition of Galactica, the hottest sensation since the discovery of pizza. And it's the Marvel Super Special Battlestar Galactica Giant Volume Galactica in full color, dollar fifty value, free. Yeah, nine bucks, twenty four issues, plus Battlestar Galactica. I am metaphorically salivating right now, wishing that this was a real thing I could do right now. I don't need to because I already have the next twelve issues of both of these series, but uh, and the Marvel Super Special of, of Battlestar Galactica. But man, that'd be so cool if I was a kid and I had nine bucks and I'd read the first two issues of Micronauts and the first issue, first two issues of Shogun Warriors. I would be, and you know, I'd seen Battlestar Galactica on TV. Uh, I would have begged my parents for that. I probably would not have been able to do it, but I do know that I would have begged my parents to be able <laughs> to do it so 
That is the Micronauts. They came from inner space, issue number two, and this is a lot of fun for me. So I want to thank you for listening. I want to tell you, hey, give us a, an email if you'd like and let us know what you think of Micronauts. Or you can go to the website, comicbooktimemachine.com, find this episode. And I actually have uh, eliminated all of the thousands of spam comments that have uh, creeped up on the Micronauts. But yeah, let us know. Let me know. What do you, what do you think? Do you like this stuff? Because or did you like this stuff as a kid? Were you there maybe? But uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So thank you so much for listening. And whether you are in inner space or whether you are in outer space or whether you are in just regular space here on Earth, I want to wish you and yours in your travels, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next, on Marvel's Cosmic Comics, The Claws of the Banth, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 21.